Playlist with Ben and Fiona. You know, when people have suffered, they have sides of them that's very unlikable. Welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my co-host, SBS and SBS Viceland Channel Manager, Ben Nguyen. Hey, Ben. Hey, Fee. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Oh, good. I'm, I'm a little cold, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Can but, I put the heating up for you? Well, all the warmer to be joining you in the studio to chat movies and TV. <laughs> because on today's episode of The Playlist, Fiona, you're speaking to Julie Delpy about her new film about the mother-daughter bond, My Zoe. We'll be talking about Gene Smart's legendary Vegas comedian who's looking for new material from Hannah Einbinder's millennial writer in Hacks. We wrap up the season of Kate Winslet's hit HBO murder mystery, Mayor of Easttown, and take a look at The Unusual Suspects and Out of the Furnace on SBS On Demand. That's a lot to get through. Yeah, let's get cracking. There's a line in Julie Delpy's film, My Zoe, where her character Isabel observes that while there are words for orphan or widow, there are no words in any language to describe a parent who has lost a child. What she's suggesting is that losing a child is so incomprehensible to the experience of being a parent that we don't even have words to describe it. This theme is what underlies her latest film as writer, director and star, and it plays out in many intriguing ways, ways that actually make the film very hard to talk about. The film opens in Berlin with French-American scientist Isabel, played by Delpy, in conflict with her British ex-husband James, Richard Armitage, over the shared care arrangements for their daughter Zoe, Sophie Ali. Breakups are hard, but as anyone who has been through a breakup with children is aware, children make separations vastly more complex, and there are strong feelings of grief and loss, along with many other emotions that accompany this change in relationship. Amid this custody battle, Zoe falls ill and is rushed to hospital, which brings all this emotional baggage to the fore. And that's all I can really say, except that the film plays out in unexpected ways where moral and ethical questions are continually asked. Let's hear a bit. Zoe. Time to wake up. How is she? She's great. You're picking her up today, right? Of course. It's my day. Missed you so much. I missed you too, Daddy. Why does time go so fast when I'm with you? Time uh, flies when we're having fun. Zoe! Zoe! Where is she now? They have to do an emergency surgery. She has intracranial bleeding. What? We spoke to the doctor again. He said that most of the bleeding occurred that night. What can we do? Nothing. But you were always the one saying, when there's no more hope, just keep on going. So, Fee, it's going to be hard to have a conversation about this film without giving away spoilers, but we will try and avoid that, but we Mm. will dig into some of the plot elements, just so you know. That's true. Well, I mean, she gets into it as well in the interview, so we have (laughs) sort of need to set that up for people. That's true. But this is definitely a movie that subverts expectations. Were you surprised by it? Yes, I think the way this film does operate on the looking at a custody dispute Mm. for for a large part of the film, but then it takes a turn and a little bit of a light sci-fi turn, we have to say, just about 
in a custody dispute, you're arguing over children, like yeah. in, you know, when it boils down to it, because these parents are, they are newly separated and they're right in the middle of it, negotiating access yeah, it's and very working raw. out. It is. So in that, there is this sense of how much time do I get and rights and, you know, access. So that that's why I'm using that kind of language. So the ownership side of things, um, it takes a little sci-fi turn and it's very light touch though. So this, yeah. this doesn't become a big, it's not a Gattaca or something, but. No, but there are elements. I mean, like good sci-fi, there's a kind of what if yes. element to the story, which I wasn't expecting at all. I hadn't, mm. hadn't seen the trailer. I had no idea where this story was going. So I was actually, I was very prepared after the first half hour for a kind of kitchen sink kind yep. of custody battle storyline. Marriage story, Kramer yeah, versus Kramer. Yep. Exactly. Mm. And in my view, actually, there's too few films that actually explore that because it is, you know, such a common experience. But Correct. ultimately, the film's kind of working on a philosophical level about sort of this bond between a mother and daughter and what that means. Mm. But I think what is really interesting and what's strong about it is that it always feels very grounded. So even we get introduced to little hints that we're sort of, you know, a jump ahead further into the future than than we are now and, and little sort of wearable technology. And But really that's just to kind of allow us to ask this what if question, what if we had the technology to, let's just say, prevent death um, in a certain way? Mm-hmm. And then the moral and the ethical considerations that come with that is yeah. what the, the film sort of starts to go into. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And and it's not like because this is so much about the characters and, and it's such a character driven piece. I don't think that's a plot spoiler because it's certainly in the way and and the way we'll, we'll hear um, us talk about it in the interview, it's um yeah, it's very much looking inside the head and how behaviour, like, and how women are presented on screen as well. Mm. I think there's, she's got some great, great points about that. The way, as a mother, hashtag yeah. as a mother, she's portrayed on screen and that that's kind of a not a typical way of seeing motherhood depicted and, and the journey of a mother in this kind of a process. Oh, well, you've whet my appetite now. Oh, I really want to hear this conversation. Let's get into it. This is uh, Julie Delpy, new friend of the show, speaking about my Zoe. Hello. Hello. Lovely to be chatting with you. Um, thanks for being generous with your time. No, thank you. L- love to know. Like, it's an obvious question to start with, but I am intrigued. Where did the general idea come from for the film? Well, you know, I've always been interested in a kind of sci-fi that's in relation to human condition and human drama. And I just, uh, I've always been sort of obsessed with motherhood and the bond that there is between parents and children, even as a, as a child myself, you know. Mm. And, and so, you know, when I started thinking about this story, I also was intrigued into was interested also is this kind of the journey of this mother that does something that's unexpected from a woman because usually the woman is the one mourning the one accepting the fate you know and men kind of go beyond that mm-hmm. and I felt it's a really you know in a way it's really unexpected of a woman character a woman journey to be this journey because she goes beyond what's acceptable and to me that was really interesting in a way, you know, there are a lot of movement about like, you know, feminism and women 
you know, even women murderer as if it's like this new thing, but really woman murderer is another version of a witch, you know, yeah. which has been around forever. But a woman that goes in a direction that's completely unexpected for a mother is more, I think to me is truly controversial, you know, yeah. and more interesting as a, as an idea. So I kind of wanted to explore all of that, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love it. Um, yeah, because, you know, we're, we're sort of conditioned to expect that your film might end, you know, in a place of acceptance. But um, I love that you push <laughs> push past it and really... I, really... I wanted to go all the way with it. I didn't want her to... I wanted to also to succeed in her mad sort of... You could say it's a mad journey, but maybe it isn't, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The allegory of a custody dispute. I mean, you know, you really get into the heart of the struggle of co-parenting for quite, oh, yeah. quite a lot of the film. Um, you know, that other idea of being bound to someone that you don't like anymore, <laughs> that you, yeah. those lines don't write themselves. Like, yeah, I can relate too. But, um, yeah, like what was the idea in making that at the core of what then the film eventually becomes? Well, you know, because, you know, sometimes I've seen co-parenting film and it's always kind of sugar-coated to me. Like I've rarely seen something that really captured the truth of, all of my friends. I mean, I'm not talking myself. I'm talking of everyone I know. It's like hell. It's not cute. It's never cute. Never. And so many films, especially American films, have kind of sugarcoated this kind of part of even like if you see Kramer versus Kramer, all that stuff, even all the good stuff is not as hardcore as reality, which is really interesting. And also it's... it's um, Often the woman is the guilty and a little bit like, you know, the one that kind of, and I wanted to point a few of a woman also who's, you know, it's very hard, you know, actually it was one of the hardest part to cast was to cast the part of, of James. It's because no men wanted to play a man who's not fair to a woman, mm. you know, <laughs> they just, it's just not acceptable. It's just not accepted that a man could be the one that is petty, the one that is picking, you know, the one that is kind of destroying everything, you know. They didn't want to hear about it. It was really interesting. And I'm like, but this is a truth as well. Like, yes, there are women that takes all the money and run and, you know, and they're the terrible women that takes you, your house, you know. Yes, we've seen a million films like that. But, you know, it's like a woman who's actually the one that's being fair and still struggling with the cruelty of the men and the abuse and the control and he's using that child to hurt her. Mm. You know, um, it's, it's not accepted. I think it's, it's very hard to describe. And I think some men got angry at this film in a way. Not all men. I'm saying some men. I, I even have a critic that uh, got angry at me. Um, what? Like personally aggressive like the critic was not about the film it was about me and it was really interesting to see that to which extent it's almost a taboo yeah like you know men are the great guys that give the money and they didn't want to hear that sometimes it's not always the case like men are flaws too you know mm -hmm. they're not always the great guy that gives the money and make it easy for the woman not always. Not always. Sorry to say, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I wanted to describe that and maybe, and uh, listen, it's my point of view. It's my right to do it as a woman to do this version of the story. Yeah. And I'm not saying she's perfect, the character of Isabel. She has her flaws, of course, but, you know, he's making it much harder than it should. 
you know? And I think a lot of people were really disturbed by this part, you know? And to me, that was the very core of the film and very important was to show a kind of a, you know, how people become cruel to each other and not just him, but her as well when they feel vulnerable and lost and angry and, you know, in a way they, they kill their child with their stupid separation. You know what I mean? Not the separation itself, but the fact that they don't want to, you know, to me that was such an obvious thing. I separated from my ex and I don't want to make it about myself because it's not really about me in particular, but, and I noticed the, the, the obsessiveness of, you know, this kind of like fighting for the child. And in the end, it's like the child was in someone else's hand, right? Yeah. Being taken care of by someone else because we were fighting for our child. Mm. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know? <laughs> totally. And, and uh, kind of, you know, the film also was fed on that as well, that part of it, you know? No, I think you do that so effectively. Um, and everyone trots out, the, you know, best interests of the child and whatnot. But, yeah, you know, you can absolutely get distracted by your rights and, like, a child's rights to you. So I, th- I think you nailed that. that, that was no, great. and you have to do it, obviously, when you separate. But at the same time, you have to balance it in a way that you have to always think of the child first, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and sometimes you have to give up some stuff to protect your child in a way, you know. Yeah. You know, the film is a little bit also an allegory on child custody battle because at the end, she ends up with the child's full custody, <laughs> per se. Yeah. You know, maybe it's my fantasy, <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah, totally. I find it fascinating that a critic would argue with you about that. I mean, I think you're telling on yourself if you, if you take it really personally, <laughs> you know? No, no, and bluntly, you know what amazed me with that critic is that he actually went bluntly bluntly misogynistic mm-hmm. bluntly like and today it's like what like how can you how can a paper of your this caliber let it happen you know it was a pure misogynistic angry men angry at women critic it was not a critic actually it was just pure hate and it was so interesting to see but you know maybe it's a blessing that a film can still trigger this kind of reaction from someone that means in a way, maybe I touched something that was a bit taboo, you know, which to me is really interesting because everything is so sugar-coated nowadays, you know, a lot of it, not all, but some stuff is, you know, especially a separation about men and women, usually because it's a man making the film, he always makes it a little nicer than it should <laughs> Usually they omit the fact that they were with the, their 20-year-old assistant or something. Well, the woman was giving birth or some shit like that, but... <laughs> they forgot that part of the story no no i'm joking but you know what i mean it's people have a tendency to also the the, you know if you think think of american you know hollywood films and stuff they always have to sugarcoat it so no one feels offended or whatever you know i mean obviously that's why i did my film in europe with european money is because i had the freedom with the limitation financially obviously of doing the film i wanted to make you know yeah, no, you can tell, like, there's definite different sensibility to, to if this was um, an American film. And you, you mentioned it before, you know, like, it's possible to understand her motivation without agreeing with what she does and that you resist making her quote-unquote likeable, you know, which can be the death of a <laughs> great female character. Even making it independently of, of what would be the American way of doing it, did you still feel any external pressure to try and make her a little bit likeable in some way or... But did you have the freedom? Yeah, of course, you know, because you don't want to make a character completely unlikable. But at the same time, I wanted her to be as true as possible to someone who is also 
broken, you know, and sometimes broken people are not necessarily likable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, she's not me. She's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a much, much nicer person than her. <laughs> you know, but I, I wanted to describe a character that's, you know, when people have suffered, they have sides of them that's very unlikable because they're so, you know, they kind of protect themselves in a way that makes them not necessarily likable. But I have actually a lot of understanding of this kind of behavior. You know, I don't really judge people on how nice they are necessarily. I, I don't know. I just, I do like her though. She's not likable, but I like her. Mm. Just like I like, you know, certain characters that are not necessarily likable in films that I love, or, you know, I like uh, Salieri in, uh, in Amadeus, you know what I mean? Anyway, Even though yeah. he's, un he's an unbearable monster, you know, it's like, you know, you can like unlikable character. I, I find that more interesting anyway, to, to like not necessarily the, the good guy, you know, I've always kind of liked it, not the obvious nice person, kind of, yeah. you know, so... And, and it's nice to free myself from that as a woman also, you know, because I feel like it's much harder to excuse a woman to not be nice than a man. Mm. The fact that she's so driven that it's almost unbearable when she does things. I mean, she is using her child as a guinea pig in a way. And um, it's wrong, but she's doing it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it's very hard to think about that, but at the same time, this is who she is, and she's determined, and there is something to it that I don't completely hate either, you know? She's not completely hateable either, you know? Yeah, no, it's far more interesting that way, I think. And with the technology aspect of it and the whole, you know, mechanics of how, <laughs> how this idea takes fruit, you know, you, ha you have a light touch to that side of it, the sci-fi element, if you like, what was your rationale there, sort of to have it part of the story but not go deep on the logistics, shall we say? <laughs> well, you know, first of all, the first screenplay was very technical but because I read so much and I had so much research and I had people working for me doing research during the writing but also, you know, uh, after when we were shooting. So we were very precise on what cloning is and the technicality of it. But, you know, who's interested in that stuff? I mean, like, you can't make a movie telling people how you really do it but it's not really that um you know cloning is very hard to achieve but the technical aspect of it is not that complicated it's pretty much you take the dna out of a cell and then you put it in like a reproductive cell right and that's pretty much what it is there's more technical aspect to it that's a bit complex right but it's not crazy 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 right so otherwise you wouldn't be able to clone so many animals that they have been cloned already, you know? It doesn't always work when you do it, but it's actually what all the clones of all the animals that have been clones have been made, you know? So it's basically based on the same thing, and primates are no different than, uh, well, now they're cloning primates, but, you know, uh, primates are no different than sheep. <laughs> Sorry to say, but, you know, and whatever it is that defines us, our individuality, I'm not saying the little girl is exactly the same person. She's like a twin of who Zoe was, basically. Mm. This is what a twin is. It's a clone, genetically cloned. Uh, a twin is nothing but a clone. Mm. I mean, it hasn't done technically, but it's exactly what it is, technically. So I didn't go too much into the sci-fi because it's not really sci-fi. <laughs> it's not really sci-fi. It's actually, it's actually visible already. Yeah. 
technically. We just don't want to hear about it in a way. And that's why a lot of scientists like the film. It's really interesting. A lot of doctors and people that were doing research for me really liked the film because they were like, oh, finally, you know, like <laughs> a film about about what's going on. No, but, you know, it's not happening because there's laws stopping it. But this is a reality. And it's, I think, for our little Judeo-Christian mind, it's very hard to believe that this is a possibility, yes. you know? No, you're quite right. Yeah, it's not sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's because, because, because of the soul, because we are so attached to the concept of the soul, mm. you know? Yeah. And what it means, who we are, and I don't know, it's, it's a very deep thing in us that we have to, I don't know, that's who we are. We define ourselves by the concept of soul, really. Even me, who I'm not religious, I still think of it that way, in a way, you know? Mm. And so to touch on your sort of broader career as writing and directing, forgive me if I've neglected a role that you wrote and directed for someone else, but you, you, tend, you write for yourself, yeah? To, like you write and direct roles that then you perform in broadly. Because that's all I've been able to do so far. But, you know, I have many screenplays that I'm not in, right, that are completely not for me to star in. There's not even a role for me in it. Yeah. But I wasn't able to, you know, I have so many screenplays and I'm not able to put them together. So, you know, sometimes being in the film is allowing me an end to financiers because of the fact that I'm, you know, whatever. And it helps me get the film financed. Like, at least I got the lead actress cast. <laughs> it's like so, so depressing. Sometimes I think I'm like, you know, I really would love to not. And I have many screenplays where I'm not in, oh. not at all. And I'm dying to do them, but so far it, it didn't work out that way, right. you know. And it's not an egomaniac thing. I mean, maybe I'm an egomaniac, but if you knew me, you, you'll, you'll know that it's a, a little more weird than that. It's like I'm not an I'm weirdly enough not an egomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to phrase the question to imply that. Yeah, there was. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I'm not. I'm not even an egomaniac. I mean, that's the sad part. You know, if I was an egomaniac, everything would be well. <laughs> you know, because then I would be in tune with my, my life. But, you know, whatever is presented to people, but it's not. It's not like this. Like, I, I kind of hate myself. I hate being in my films. You know, it's kind of like not working out the way I want it to work out. I wish I could cast actresses. And I've developed films for many actresses, and it didn't work out. It's crazy. The number of films I've offered to people, I developed for people, and then it didn't work out, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know why. Oh. It's not, but maybe it'll change soon. You know, I have a film with uh, that Emilia Clark is attached to now, and I'm really hoping uh, it's gonna. You know, I'm really hoping this one will happen. I mean, I think this one will be the one. So okay, well, look forward to it. Hope it is. I'd love to know. You know, with your very lengthy career in acting, um, with you know great directors, I'm thinking. You know, back to Three Colors, obviously, but also like what what did you take on board, or what did you observe the most that really has stayed with you? that you then apply now as a director? Um, you know, I, I really liked working, you mentioned the th three color. Uh, I really like working with Christoph and actually some of the first idea of this film started with kind of a discussion that never was kind of finished because he passed away, you know, about fate and about motherhood. And it was not at all the film but it was more of a concept about accepting fate or not accepting fate and all that and uh, I was a big fan of his work and I was really interested in how he was very intuitive with actors and kind of letting them 
discover, you know, their own thing. Like he wasn't giving too much directions, which is, you know, sometimes when you give too much directions, you block people, right? If you cast the, the right person, if you actually cast the right person for the role, the one with the person that really understands what they're doing, like for example, Richard or, or Daniel, or, you know, you really, you have to have a little trust. You know, it's not just about control directing, you know, it's also about letting go of control sometimes because yes, sometimes an actor will be better than what ideas you have of what to do in that scene. Like they'll be more intelligent emotionally than you are on the character, you know? Yeah. And so you have to trust. It's, it's an interesting balance, which I learned with Krista, for example, is, of trusting and also being able to direct at the same time, but also giving your, tr you know, trusting people a little bit, you know? Yeah. Actors are extremely intelligent people. I'm not saying like rocket scientists intelligent, but, you know, they can be. Some actors are really gifted and, and it's really an intelligence of emotions that they have, you know? Yeah. It's not a small thing, you know, people kind of put down actors a lot, you know, and whatever, just like where it was superficial or whatever, or whatever they think they see sometimes the exterior part of it, like the, the glam or the bullshit, you know? Yes. But actors are also very uh, sensitive people that have a great understanding of emotions, you know, and it's not something to shit all over, you know, I think it's very respectful. And so I have great respect of actors in that sense. I was raised by two actors to start with, but you know, it's not nothing, you know, to express emotions. You know, sometimes I feel people are not always nice to creative people and they think it's just nothing, you know, but I feel they're fragile people. I'm very nice to actors because I know how sensitive they are, you know, Yeah. and uh, how they need to be really protected, you know. Yeah. And are you still acting independently of writing and directing? Like are you still looking to, to sometimes just shed the filmmaker side of it and act yourself or, or is this kind of where you want to head now through the writing and directing? You know, I would love to act only, but it, it would have to be a good part. And sometimes I read stuff and it's a bit one-dimensional and I, I kind of don't want to do one-dimensional. I mean, you know, I realized something really young is that if you give me bad, like bad dialogue, I'm really bad, you know? Like I'm not this kind of actress that I can do the phone book and I'm brilliant, you know what I mean? I need a little bit of something and... You know, I realized that, like, in the before movies, you know, I, I, I rewrote with Ethan the first film, and then, you know, the dialogue was not at all like that. The, the original screenplay was very wordy and not very emotional and not very romantic. And, and I realized we needed to rewrite everything, and that's what we did, but, I mean, entirely. And I realized, oh, if I do, if there's good dialogue, I can make sense of it and be good. Like, if it's terrible dialogue, and I've done it when I was younger, I did a few films that it was, like, so bad, and I was okay, but I wasn't great, because it's it's not easy to be good when every, you know, also, it's not easy to be good if, if the camera is not on you, and anyway, no one cares, so, you know, whatever, you know, so I quickly realized that it's important for me to have good dialogue, and sometimes I will read a screenplay and be like, awesome, I'm doing it, like, uh, Todd Solon's, uh, what is it? Win a dog. And the dialogue was awesome. And I was like, oh, fantastic. I didn't, I don't have to rewrite anything. I don't have to fix it. It's just great dialogue, you know, and I can actually act and be good when it's good dialogue, you know, when it's good, even if it's a small part, it's good. It's well-written, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, that's really what drives me as an actress is I, I need to find good material mm. because I'm not the kind of actress that can be good if it's complete shit. I'm sorry. 
So, well, if you can. Yeah, yeah. Um, I totally get what you're saying. Um, well, look, thank you so much. Well, yeah, I, I'm here for it. Whatever you choose to do next. Yeah, and thank you. I really appreciate thank talking you. to you. I'm a big fan. Thanks a lot, Julie. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So that was new friend of the show, Julie Delpy. Such a treat to talk to her. I've always been a huge fan. Yeah, I think she's an incredible actress and very interesting filmmaker, mm. as my Zoe demonstrates. And and very interesting that conversation point around how mothers are represented mm. on screen and, and how she was trying to contend with that in the writing of this film. Yeah, just the whole idea that, you know, normally they're on a path and on a journey and having to deal with things. And here she's, no, <laughs> I'm going to deal with things the way I'm supposed to. I'm going to do what I want. So, um, yeah, that, that really adds some complexity to the way this all plays out. It's very good. Yeah, I, I think also the way it holds the, the light touch sci-fi as we're talking about to, to later in the film. So, it, you know, for two-thirds, three-quarters almost, it's a, it is a story of the custody dispute and the little petty grievances that then you can understand the later turn in mm. the film. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it is very interesting. It, it is structurally a film of two parts, really. I mean, yeah. it's almost a kind of episodic element mm. to it. And Daniel Brühl and Gemma Arterton, who yeah. we sort of see there in the opening credits, so we know that they're coming, and Gemma Arterton, she's the first woman that we see on screen, her being pregnant in the, the first frames of the film. So we sort of know that that's coming, but obviously it takes a good passage mm. to get there. Mm. And, you know, we're in a very different space once we do. Yeah. And look, we've treaded around it, but then we've gone right in there with the interview. So, I mean, I, I will repeat again because I knew those details watching the film, so I don't think it spoiled it for me. It, it was more watching how this all plays out is more fascinating. So, yeah. I mean, anyone listening who hasn't seen the film, we've opened up a lot of the, the detail, you know, whereas I went in completely blind mm. and, and I think that that is a good way to see this film. But... <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're not going to wring our hands about it. Uh, yeah. No, but it's very interesting. I think the sci-fi elements, if I were to say, I think that they are slightly redundant. I, I mm. think that the fact that we... Um, kind of go into Moscow and there's a sort of experimental IVF clinic. Mm. I don't actually think we need the the kind of future tech. I think that that would be very yeah. believable without it. Correct. And, you know, she corrected me, like, this isn't sci-fi. Mm. <laughs> Cloning is real and, yeah. yeah, IVF. So it's it's just the ethics are not resolved. Yeah, well, that's the open <laughs> well, question. Well, they are resolved and just not in the favour of where the film goes. But, yeah. yeah. I'm maybe going to be... Slightly controversial here. I do feel like Julie Delpy is a less comfortable actress in English than in French. Yeah, right. Okay. Because, I mean, she lives in LA and she's working in across all of her available languages. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my favourites are the Three Colours trilogy. I love yeah. White. Um, that, I guess that's what I saw her in first. Yeah, probably. it would have been the first performance that I, I knew. Mm. I do feel like for all the film's strengths, there is a surface level of Euro pudding in that the Berlin setting feels purely because there's German money involved. Mm. It's kind of the, the setting is kind of neither here nor there to the, the story. Mm. And there, there's British and German actors to kind of tick the, the funding requirement boxes. But despite all that, mm. so I've, I've sort of expressed my little qualms, but I, I still would highly recommend that people go out and find this film. Mm. 
No, it's really thoughtful because, it, yeah, it's not something you would typically see in cinemas as well. So, yeah, I would recommend. So that's My Zoe and that is in limited release from the 17th of June. Yeah, check it out. Okay, what's next? Well, I wanted to have a little chat about a show which has been creating some waves. Mayor of Easttown, Kate Winslet's most recent drama that's been playing out weekly on HBO in the States and Foxtel and Binge here in Australia. This is one of these shows that's managed to create a little zeitgeisty moment as viewers hung on to every cliffhanger ending and speculated about who the killer in this small town outside of Philly could be. Fee, I don't think you've caught up with it yet. I think I'm the only person in Australia <laughs> who hasn't watched Mary's Town yet. But in my defence, I've been watching Handmaid's Tale multiple times to do a podcast about it. So I, I didn't... It's too, it was too much to then <laughs> have other weekly drops. And so I'm all in for Mary of Easttown. I'm just waiting until Handmaid's Tale Season 4 wraps up soon. But, yes, so on pause, but I, I definitely want to watch it. Tell me more. No one needs to know what I haven't seen. Go on. Oh, well. well <laughs> what have I not been watching? Mary of Easttown. Well, all I, I really want to tell you is, is, yes, the journey is worth it. I think that many listeners will be already very familiar with this show, Kate Winslet, plays a police detective in this little town, um, East Town. She's very much part of the community. Um, Her father, who's passed away, was a cop. She um, lives with sort of multi-generations under one roof, her mother played by Jean Smart. She has her daughter played by the Australian actress Angori Rice. Her son has recently passed away and that's a trauma that she's experiencing and that is explored through this season, whether it's a first season or more is sort of as yet undetermined. Mm. But um, And she's also looking after her grandson, a young boy called Drew. So within this world, she's been investigating a disappearance of a young woman, again, within this community, that young woman has been missing for about a, a year. And as the story progresses in in this first episode, there is another death which sort of propels the story as Mare is brought onto the case and uh, Mare, short for Marianne, <laughs> um, <laughs> and brings out the secrets and the disquiet that exist in this community. I think people who have seen the show would be very quick to say there is something quite formulaic about it. There's a there's a kind of Agatha Christie almost, you know, kind of um, everyone's a suspect. You know, there's, there's multiple people with motives. Is it the shady priest? Is it the mayor's ex? Is it, mm-hmm. is it even her father? Um, and sort of mayor has to pull out all these details whilst trying to have a little bit of a um, romance of her own on the side with a um, writer who's just come to town played by Guy Pearce. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, once you get to the end of the story, I think a lot of the red herrings that have been thrown out along the way start to look a bit questionable in terms of what the character motivations were apart from actually trying to make them look dubious. <laughs> mm. And there's sort of some of those kind of plot holes when you think about it a little, more, a little bit more deeply. But I, but I think Kate Winslet is just so good in this role. In fact, so many of the cast are, are very, very strong. I think that there's perhaps something a little bit 
formulate going on at HBO, sort of where they're casting actors like Nicole Kidman, for mm. example, and um, and putting them within the context of these murder mysteries. But Kate Winslet's obviously a very strong actor and mm. I think a little bit like Julie Delpy in My Zoe sort of really inhabits sort of this older woman, this older mother, mm. and there's no sense of kind of ego on screen. Mm-hmm. I think that she's very comfortable bearing herself and leaning into sort of herself as, as an older woman. And I think that um, that she has to really carry the, the series and, and it is all the stronger for it. Mm. Yeah, I've followed the tweets about it without reading too much in case it gave away details because I do want to watch it down the track. But, um, yes, I do notice people are upset because... There's a hole now that <laughs> used to fill. One person in it who I have always loved and is having her moment and I can't be more happy about that, but Jean Smart, who plays her mum. Yes, yeah, she is having a moment. It's very true. Yeah, has always been one of the funniest things about a comedy, even just with her bit parts. You know, she was a side character in Frasier. Um, I've loved her from the Designing Women days back in the 80s. Um, she was terrific in a season of Fargo. Ah, I, I missed that one. Yeah. Okay. Mm. That's that's sort of, yeah, where I kind of discovered her. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been watching Hacks, which is her starring comedy drama at the moment, which isn't streaming here yet, but um, yeah. No, we hear that uh, that a local deal is imminent. So well, <laughs> coming to screens near you, I'm sure in no time. Yeah. And we're confident talking about it because, uh, yeah, I'm sure someone's going to snap it up ASAP. But yeah, I've been lucky to watch a whole bunch of them. And look, I've sort of been leaning into the comedies because as I say, I've been watching a hell of a lot of Handmaids. <laughs> and yeah, Hacks has been fantastic. So she's in this, she plays a seasoned US comic. So she's very clearly modelled on Joan Rivers or sort of has done it all, seen it all in a man's world, you know, back in back in the 60s slash yeah. 70s. But it's present day and she's got the Vegas show, has done very well for herself, has got sort of a mini Versailles house going on um, in <laughs> Vegas. Um, you know, wealthy, does the... Living got, the dream. Living the dream, but maybe has just settled into her... Life, you know, her her jokes. She she knows what works, so she just keeps trotting out um, yeah. those gags. So yeah, has got the Home Shopping Network deal, does appearances and paid gigs. So you know, she's well set up. Mm. But into her life comes a young writer in her twenties who has been cancelled. She did a questionable tweet, and no one wants a bar of her anymore. <laughs> she lost a development deal, but they have the same agent, so the agent twigs that, you know, maybe Deborah Vance, who is Jean Smart's character, maybe she could do with some of the jokes of this younger um, writer, Ava, maybe Ava could get a gig writing those jokes for Deborah. So a bit of a cross-generational mix. They hate each other on site. <laughs> yeah. And hilarity does ensue. It's very darkly funny. Yeah, well, I've so I've only seen the first episode, mm. which it's a half hour series. And, and by end of it one, it really just sort of sets up the relationship between the, the two of them and sort of act one out of the way. So, yep. you know, I'm very interested in kind of where it goes mm. later into the season. Well, all over the place. So yeah, they are working together. There's a clear power dynamic there. Um, Ava does not want this gig, but she needs the money. Deborah doesn't really like to be told that her jokes could use some 
<laughs> spicing up from a young'un. Um, yeah, so it's this uneasy relationship between the pair of them. They come to lean on each other a little bit. But what I love about the show is it's such a knowing critique of TV comedy as well. Like with Deborah having a comic, having a female comic, it looks back at some of the opportunities she had and for various reasons she wasn't able to take advantage of. Um, you know, like timing is everything in comedy um, and, you know, there's a bit of a sense that she missed her moment even though she's doing very well for herself. So it's not a sad story. It's just a, the opportunities she could have had mm. really come through. So it's, and just the cackle. Like I love Jean Smart's cackle and she gets to use it a lot. It's it's great fun. Yeah, and also really dark. So it's not a it's not a sitcom by any means if I'm playing. Yeah, I yeah. don't mean to give it that impression, but it's it's a drama with some very genuinely funny moments. Mm. Oh, well, great. So mm. that's something to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> when it drops, where it drops. Yes. Um, so that was Mayor of Easttown, uh, which is on Foxtel and Binge and Hacks which is coming to a service, I'm sure, very shortly. Yeah, which we got into because of Jean Smart. Because <laughs> finally she's having her moment. Because she was doing interviews a couple of years ago about the dearth of roles for women of a certain age and, you know, that kind of having to complain about the roles you're getting and clearly someone heard and wrote this for her. Yeah. Love it. We might go to another show that I wanted to bring up, which is also about women on screen, really, mm. which is the new SBS drama series, The Unusual Suspects. All episodes out now on SBS On Demand. I mean, first I just want to kind of put this out there. This is another series from SBS which explores a particular community, in this case the Filipino community, from a white creator. I'm just going to put that out there. But... I think what it does do quite successfully is take a lot of stereotypes and power dynamics. So it's set in the eastern suburbs of, of Sydney um, and we're introduced to these four women of Filipino descent who are all migrant women. There's a lead character, Evie, who is a nanny for Miranda Otto, who's kind of a successful mummy blogger um, with a bit of a sort of media empire. We're introduced to Roxanne, who's a little bit of a, a trophy wife, although she's a successful businesswoman in her own right, sort of married in a bit of an unhappy marriage with a, a man called Jordan. There's also Amy, who is Roxanne's housekeeper, and Gigi, who's a kind of new arrival, sort of with hopes and dreams of her own. And what we start to see unraveled, sort of particularly by the second episode, is that the women who they work for or the sort of these successful white women, kind of the, the facade begins to crumble and we mm. sort of start to see that they're falling apart in their own lives as much as the Filipino women are, are also kind of struggling. Mm -hmm. And bonds begin to form in unusual ways between all the characters. And so together they start to hatch a plot to pull off a jewellery heist to kind of get back at the terrible men in their lives. Mm -hmm. So... I've kind of set it up as like a serious social issue drama almost, but it's not. Mm -hmm. It is actually a very fun romp and kind of, I guess, sort of dramedy with a bit of a 
desperate housewives kind of feel in terms of this sort of, I guess, kind of heightened character-led comedy. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's uh, a new drama, new Australian drama, The Unusual Suspects, out now on SBS On Demand. Great. What have I got to recommend that SBS On Demand? Well, just on this um, conversation about Mayor of Easttown, hmm. um, we have a film that was written by the creator, the, the showrunner of Mayor of Easttown, Brad Inglesby. He wrote the screenplay of Out of the Furnace. You know, it predates Mayor of Easttown, obviously, but uh, yeah, so that is streaming it on demand. And this one, you know, clearly I haven't seen Mayor of Easttown yet, but I can recognise some of the themes here that, that mm. you've, you've spoken of. And like you say, a little bit um, formulaic about the small town secrets and, yeah. you know, all of that. But so this one... How's that? <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. But uh, so Christian, it's, you know, cast of, you know, heavyweights. Uh, Christian Bale, friend of the show, Willem Dafoe. I like that. It rolls off the tongue. Um, <laughs> Woody Harrelson, Sam Shepard, uh, Zoe Saldana is in there. But, yeah, it's kind of a man's man kind of movie mm. um, in steel mill world. And so Christian Bale is an ex-con who returns home and... His brother is Casey Affleck and um, he's a boxer who's fallen foul of a crime syndicate and, you know, is missing. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and it's not a case that the police are particularly motivated to pursue, so he does some of his digging, you know, to try and unpick the mystery here. So, so you know, you can sort of see maybe where some of the threads that were started here then probably found their feet in, in the writing of Mayor of Easttown. But, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it's kind of got that dark community secrets and, and trauma. Yeah, and Woody Harrelson is just a villain <laughs> <laughs> through and through, um, a bit of a psychopath, munching on a lollipop, that kind of. <laughs> you can sort of see it now. But, um, yeah, and that one is directed by Scott Cooper, who did Crazy Heart. The, oh, yeah. Yeah, which I loved with Jeff Bridges mm. and um, mm. Maggie Gyllenhaal. But, yeah, so... That's my suggestion of what to catch SBS On Demand this week. So that is Out of the Furnace. Terrific. Yeah. Well, I think that's it for our show for this week. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you subscribe to SBS The Playlist wherever you get your podcasts and give us a lot of stars and leave a nice review because it helps people to find the show. And you can let us know what you thought of the movies and TV shows we discussed on Facebook or Twitter at SBS Movies. And I'm on Twitter at Ben Nguyen TV. And I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. And the playlist is produced by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>